This is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the all-new podcast where my mom, Bonnie Tatey, shares her view of pop culture, small-town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, Mom takes a fresh look at Conan O'Brien's work on Late Night. Let's bring her in now. Hi, Mom. Hi, Johnny. How are you? I'm doing very well. What's going on in your neck of the woods? I hear you took a trip to uh, a buffalo farm recently. You sent me a, a text about meat. Meat. Well, when I fell down the stairs, well, actually, before I fell down the stairs, mm-hmm. I had taken antibiotics when I had a tooth pulled, a tooth pulled, and then I had antibiotics for a stomach thing, which wiped out everything good, um, right. bad, indifferent right. in my stomach. And it really screwed up my digestion. So I recommend, you know, take take antibiotics as a last resort. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you need them, you need them. So anyway, I went to the naturopath, and she said that beef was all right, but it should be organic, and if, you know, I, buffalo would be best, and I guess because of the fat, I'm not really sure. I didn't ask enough questions. Well, I didn't know what questions to ask. Right. So finally, since Jenna is here now and with Brooke, we all went to the farm. We all decided to go to the farm. So the last thing, and this is why it took so long to go, the last thing the naturopath said, they have excellent meat there, but you have to walk past the animals that are not in the freezer first. Right. So I was a little put off by that. So you're um, strolling past all the beasts that have yet to face death, essentially. <laughs> well, there was nothing out, so yay. <laughs> yeah, there was okay. just chickens running around and, and being adorable. So there was just fields of mud, you know, little corrals of mud everywhere um, before we went into the store. So that was very nice, I thought, except that when you go in the store, there's a big stuffed buffalo head. Just to remind you, yeah, it was gross. <laughs> it was gross, but the meat is very nice. So, <laughs> yay, it was, it was good. Is it? I never really cared for that uh, bison burger. No? It's a bit lean, isn't it? It's very lean. You have to cook it just right. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to indulge in red meat, I really want it to be an experience. Well, uh, you have a point. Now, you have a point. But this way, you can indulge in red meat guilt-free. And you you need the red meat? Is that what this is? Or, or you just want it? Uh, I like red meat. Yeah, well, who doesn't? That's I guess vegetarians don't. This is pretty good. <laughs> I, know. I answered that question myself pretty quickly. So then today I went to the farm where I buy my catnip every year, where I love to take a picture of me holding this four-pound bag of catnip because it looks like pot, and I just think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it's not. I mean, it's... It's not that funny, but to me, it's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, So I went to that farm today, and she wants to sell her farm um, because they can't 
and have not been able to find people to work on the farm, so it doesn't make any money. It's only what she can do and what her husband, who is 82, can do. Mm. Um, but I love her stuff. She does a lot of canning. She makes um, bread and butter pickles, which are my very favorite. Mm. And today I got some jerk-flavored pickles. Sounds awful. I don't awful. think that's really... Really? <laughs> They're a little spicy. and You hate spicy stuff, Mott. Yeah, I didn't get them for me. Okay. I got them for Brooke. He let me taste one. Brooke is uh, my sister's boyfriend. We should let the people yes. know. So I'm doing my bit to keep the farms in the area in business. Yeah, I can tell. Are you still going to the farmer's market and on Saturdays? No, it's depressing. Oh, so you're not doing your bit at all. <laughs> Look, the farmer's market... Stinks. It used to be very good, but I can't stand the music players that they have mm -hmm. there. They all sing the same 20 songs every week, and I hate every one of them. Now, what is, like, what is it? Like 50s and 60s cover bands? Oh, I wish. That's what they play at, at Saturday night, on Saturday oh, night. And okay. those, are, those are usually pretty good bands. You know, they, some mm -hmm. of them draw quite a crowd. Mm-hmm. Like Quite 10 a crowd, people. like yeah, <laughs> like like a hundred people. Wow, okay, yeah, that's like a tenth of the Wilmot population. So that's a pretty good crowd. That's a pretty good crowd, and they they do have some good ones. But the ones that that come on Saturday morning, you know, sing sing at a funereal rate. And the train they call the city. Oh, it's just depressing. Oh, it's you know? folk music. Is that what it is? Yes, largely. Hmm. Mm. But and I would like to ask you uh, a question in that vein, if I could. But it relates to Better Call Saul, so I don't know if I can ask that here. Sure, you can ask that. This week they played um, a song by Burl Ives. This week they did. Big Rock Candy Mountain. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, there. So we're on the same. But it talks about cigarette trees. Yeah. Which I think is odd to put in what I feel like is a children's song. <laughs> um, I didn't notice that. I'm bringing up the lyrics to Big Rock Candy Mountain right now. And what are they? Where the boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day and the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. Well, so it does refer to cigarette trees. What it the does. hell is that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I never really thought of it as a, as a song for kids. I guess I always thought of Burl Ives' songs as for children because... I didn't know anybody that listened to those songs, but I would see them on shows, I guess, that I watched. Um, so I was curious about that. Well, um, I mean, I, I'm reading for, from other verses now. Um, in the Big Rock Candy Mountains, you never change your socks, and the little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rocks. There's a lake of stew oh. and of whiskey, too. Um you sleep all day where they hung the jerk that invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, uh, Not a children's song. No, I, I certainly don't want uh, my little boy dreaming of a lake of whiskey. <laughs> so I guess, I guess folk songs, there's folk songs and then there's folk songs. Yeah, there's kitty songs, um, but they're, they're not all kitty songs, I guess. Right. 
Right. All right. Well, that was an education for me. Yeah, good. You know, I forgot I got so swept up and my um, breakdown video this week it focuses on that opening montage uh, where they sing something stupid. Um, that's the title right. of the song, you know, and then I go and spoil yeah. it all by saying something stupid like I love you. Uh, it's this wonderful cover of it. I didn't check who the artists were, but it's not the Frank and Nancy Sinatra version that was in this week's episode. But that montage was uh, it was like a sh short film to open this week's episode. Oh. And it was it, wonderful. It was absolutely breathtaking. It was absolutely perfect. It was just it blew my mind. You know, since we're talking about Better Call Saul, I'll, I'll plug my uh, yeah, videos. So. If, if you're watching the show, check out my series, Basement Breakdown, on YouTube, uh, where I take you deeper into the beautiful and meaningful images of every episode of Better Call Saul. It's Basement Breakdown on YouTube, starring me. And I mentioned it this week because a comment on one of the videos recently from uh, David Dalrymple. You know David, right, Mom? He's interacted with us many times over the years. Um, yes. And he's certainly been a good friend of mine um, in terms of just online readership. He said... Oh, yeah, well, me too. We write letters. Okay, great. Um, well, he said on the uh, Better Call Saul uh, video, you know, since John is so terrible at uh, self-promotion, that's not how he put it. He was much nicer about it. But um, <laughs> since John is terrible at self-promotion, I uh, will tell people that he also has this podcast, Pop Mom, which I thought was so kind of him. Very sweet, yeah. Facebook. What's going on on Facebook? Facebook, Facebook has changed on my computer its notification icon. Oh, really? And I got very excited because I thought they changed to the poop emoji. <laughs> but it's really just a fat bell. But, it, but still, it does look like the poop the cute poop emoji. Yeah. Oh, it kind of does. That's funny, Mom. So I got excited, and then I was disappointed. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. That's not quite the saga I was expecting, but yes, they changed the bell. I see it now. It is a fat bell, and it looks like a poop with a little dot at the it bottom, does. though. That's right. That's right. But I usually have crap all over my screen, so you know it didn't really register that it was part of the icon and I, I just have no idea why they changed it what was the point well you know they do this they do this testing where they make little changes and you know they'll give the change to some people and not to others and they see how your behavior changes well it, i'm not going to change my behavior at all that's ridiculous yeah but you don't know that's the thing is that maybe it does change your behavior a tiny bit that you can't perceive but they with their statistics think that they can it's creepy. Well, I don't want to be manipulated like this. Well, if you're using Facebook, Ma, you are being manipulated at every minute. How uh, How can you say that? Because they have what all... What are you talking about? They have all these algorithms to determine what you're going to look at, and they track your behavior and the behavior of everybody who uses the platform, and uh, they use the algorithms to just make you use it more. Well, do you know what I have noticed is that... I like to look at the ads that come up because then I can see what my friends are looking at and see what kind of deranged people they are. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it says because, like... You know, that happens. And do you know what? That even has started to happen on on Amazon. 
that now when I click on, it says stuff you may like or something like that. And I know it's nothing I've ever looked at. So <laughs> that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty creepy. It's pretty creepy. And I have finally stopped getting a lot of emails. One time I ordered something from China that came and it was just absolute crap. The paint was all wonky and it was was all bad and um, it was Yeti cups. Do you know what those are? <laughs> no. They're like uh, thermos. They're like thermoses. Oh, okay. From the Yeti, the people who make the coolers. That's right. Really? And they were low That's quality. Right. Oh, they were... They were painted. They came right from China. So every time that popped up on my, in my feed, you know, people were saying, oh, Sarah, look at this. Oh, Molly, look at this. And I would write every time, these things are absolute crap. Save your money. The quality's terrible. And they stopped showing up. So You scared them off. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe somebody read the comments and said, eh, this isn't working. Let's change the name of our company and put them up another way. Because that's what they do. Yeah, they definitely do that. On Amazon, too. There's a lot of fly-by-night operations on Amazon. It's hard to know if you're getting really? real, real stuff when you order from Amazon. Because, you know, they mix it all together. They well, have... you know, I did read it. Yeah, go ahead. I did read a review about um, a product that I was going to order, and, and several people said this is not the authentic thing, this is junk, and I thought, wow. It's really hard to know whether you're getting the real thing or not. Now, if it says um, sold by Amazon.com, that's Amazon taking yeah. responsibility for it, and you're going to get the real thing in all likelihood there. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, a, a lot of their merchandise now is you know, fulfilled by Amazon, which just means that huh. these little companies send their stock to Amazon and they use Amazon's yeah. warehouse and logistics to, to ship it out and platform, right? But yeah. um, Amazon isn't really taking responsibility, much responsibility for those products, and they mix in the counterfeit stuff with the real stuff. Now, they've said that they're, you know, over the past year or so that they're striving to get better about this. But you see in their reviews, many of which are fake themselves, uh, but you see in their reviews oh. that people are still getting fraudulent merchandise. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. it was supposed to be the future, but Amazon does feel kind of ramshackle now that it's been so deeply integrated into everybody's life. Right. Because it used to be you would order right from the the XYZ hand lotion company. And then it got easier if you had Amazon Prime because you didn't have to pay for yep. shipping yep. that you just say, oh, let me order it off Amazon. But then if you're getting products that aren't, you know, aren't brand names that you're paying for and, uh, and then it's not worth it. Yeah. Now, last week, Mom, I asked you for uh, some advice, and I'll just recap for people who, who didn't hear that. Um, yeah. It's this, this, I met this fella at a parents' get-together at uh, Leo, my two-and-a-half-year-old, his daycare. Uh, they call it school, but it's it's just daycare with learning stuff. And, you know, we struck up a conversation. We met up at the playground a few times. We went out to get a drink one night, and I realized that we have nothing in common. He doesn't really care much about me. Um, he doesn't even seem to like me that much, um, <laughs> except that he keeps 
texting to get together. You know, can can we get a, a, a drink or I'm going to see this movie. You want to come? And I just wanted this to be over, but it was awkward because he's another parent at this little school, so I'm going to encounter him again. So um, I had just been sort of begging off all of these requests, and I asked you what to do with, with this situation. And you basically right. said, next time he texts you, just don't reply. And he would get the message. We got some feedback uh, from listeners on Twitter. I'm just going to read a couple of them here, representative of the two positions we heard. These might have been the only two replies we got, in fact. I don't remember. But they're opposite sides of the issue. One of them is from uh, Anastasia, or it could be Anastasia. I don't know. Uh, she writes, I totally endorse selective ghosting in John's issue. I had a boyfriend who wasn't awful, but was a bad fit, overly aggressive, and terrible at social cues. We'd only dated a couple months, so I dialed down contact slowly and got vaguer, which is what I've kind of been trying to do. She said, not exactly yeah. the bravest approach, but the message did get across eventually. Um, and then Christy Skalecki wrote with an opposing point of, view, point of view. She said, sorry, Mom, but I think John says to his friend... I feel like we don't really have a lot in common. Since my family and career keep me busy, I'm not able to keep up my end of this friendship. She says, no ghosting. You're better than that. Well, I don't know about that, Christy, but I'd appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, and I'm not sure. Is she talking to me? Because I'm not better than that. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have to say I was moved by what Christy said. I think that makes perfect sense, but it's awkward. It is I mean, awkward, I... and it's tough. You know, she, it's... It's awkward, right? But it's going to be awkward. It's awkward, but it's the more forthright thing to do, obviously, right? And, you know, I also maybe think... maybe the other way is more gentle. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. But I, I don't know. I don't know. So he texts... Here's the follow-up. Uh, okay, what, good. So more has developed. He texted me again. I thought we were done. It had been a couple weeks, but he texted me again. And he said, are you planning to head to the park in the next few days? Now, this I found OK because the kids will be there and, right. you know, there will be, a, you know, I can say at any time, OK, we better get home for dinner. So right. I said, sure, let's do it. Let's get together. I'll meet you at the playground uh, tomorrow evening. And I'm feeling pretty oh. good about myself. Right. I'm feeling like, yeah. hey, you know, I'm OK. This is a level of friendship I can accept. Well, First of all, he texts me and says, heading over to the park in a few minutes, be there by six o'clock. So I get over there at six o'clock. He's not there. He's not there. And he's 20 minutes late. And, you know, the evening isn't infinite with a toddler. Right. It's like right. we actually, you know, I said you could get out of it by saying you have to go to dinner. But that's actually like true. So right. I'm waiting there. I'm waiting there for him. And he finally shows up. And it turned they stopped for ice cream on the way to the playground. And I just... Okay, whatever. Um, so he shows up with ice cream? He shows up having eaten ice cream with his okay, son. Okay, how he ate it, at least. Yeah. Um, his son, who was just turned three, and Leo, our son, is two and a half. So they're pretty close in age. They've met, known each other at school, and they start playing on the playground. And he starts talking to me at uh, at length about some of the troubles he's been having with the little school. And it's a it's a Montessori program. And he tells me that they've been saying to him, let's have a meeting. Um, your son isn't really participating in the learning activities. And it seems like if you're paying oh. all this money t for this um, for this school, 
that we should be figuring out if this is really the right place for him, basically, is wow. was their message. Very stressful. Yeah. And, you know, he's describing to me not the best communication from the school as he gets into the details. He talks mm-hmm. about this for like 10 minutes. And the whole time, Mom, I'm being sympathetic, supportive. Wow, that sounds tough. Oh, he's such a good boy. Leo loves, you know, just... Yeah. Because yeah. I feel for him as as a parent. And I also am yeah. feeling like, boy, I'm glad I got together with him again, because it seems like maybe there's nobody he can talk to about this stuff aside from his wife. And so I can offer some support and caring. Um, then his his boy comes over and is looking for some monster truck toy that he saw at the yeah. playground. And, at the playground, yeah. And so the dad says to me, hmm. Does Theo have a monster truck? And, Mom, I was just dumbstruck because here I am worried about showing the proper amount of caring for this guy, trying to be super supportive, all of this, and he doesn't even know the name of my son. I mean, we've... It's the only only thing we have in common, right, that that has brought us together, this star-crossed quasi-friendship together. It's the only thing we have in common. We've met up six or seven times now. He doesn't even know Leo's name, and it just was emblematic of, like, the asymmetry in in these interactions. He doesn't give a shit about me um, or my family. There was this... He's so irritating to speak to. There was this other interaction. I won't recap the whole thing, uh, but there was this other exchange we had where he rattled off some quote, some inspirational quote that uh, he says occurs to him a lot. And I said, oh, who, you know, who said that? Who's that quote attributed to? Is it just anonymous Mm. or is it? And he said, it's Samuel Beckett, the playwright. And I said, hey, don't get angry at me. I just haven't heard the quote before. Um, and he kind of muttered, and but that's what it's like talking to him, Mom. Yeah. Like he just, yeah. he's either disagreeing with me or annoyed with me or both. Yeah. Um, I just don't like him. I don't like him. And yes, but see, isn't it interesting that you now are at a point you're not wishy-washy about your thoughts anymore. You know, I don't want any part of this. Yeah, but there's still the extracting myself from it. Because he, he said, he started talking about movies. And he said, yeah, we should get a drink and see a movie at the theater over yeah. in Lincoln Square sometime. Um, and then Christie's advice came into my head. And I did say, I don't know if that's in the cars, uh, carts. I am so busy lately. But, but it. You see, you are allowed to have your family time. You are allowed to do that. You are allowed to say, I'm sorry, that's my family time. So thanks for your feedback, and I'll I'll keep everyone posted um, if the situation develops further. Shall we move on to our review? Yes, we should. We're talking about Conan this week. Conan O'Brien recently posted to YouTube his first episode hosting NBC's Late Night, originally aired in 1993. Conan's first show was reposted online to mark the 25th anniversary of his debut. And after a quarter century, it's easy to forget that Conan was, when he first hit the air, an unknown to virtually everyone in the viewing audience. Unlike other late-night stars who came up through the stand-up circuits or as sketch performers, Conan has always been known to us as a talk show host. 
Earlier this week, Mom and I tuned into a typical airing of Conan's current show on TBS. Here's a clip. True story. Starting tomorrow, a new version, I'm not making this up, a new version of the emergency broadcast system is going to allow President Trump to send text to all of our cell phones. <laughs> That's true. That's a true thing. Yeah, starting tomorrow. Trump said, I thought I'd try announcing emergencies instead of just causing them. That was funny. <laughs> I'm freaked out by that. Yeah. He can... Oh, I can get... Everyone in America is going to get 3 a.m. angry texts. Right, right, right. While he's on the toilet. Yeah. That's, that's our new reality. Yeah, witch hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, it's just yeah. Trump. Okay. Conan airs Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m., 10 Central on TBS. Mom, does Conan make you want to stay up past your bedtime? Not even a little bit. Oh. No. <laughs> no. No. Really? I... I I really, I don't, I never liked him at the beginning, and I, I don't like him now. Oh, I didn't know you never liked I, him. I really, I would have, hmm? we might have done something different if I'd known you'd always disliked him. Well, I thought maybe I would like him now, but I don't. Why not? I think he's, I think he's silly. I, I don't <laughs> think he's funny, and I don't know if it's the way he talks that his timing seems off to me. Hmm. And and he does say some funny things. That's not the problem. But for me, I don't know if it's the way he talks, and I don't think his comedy is tight. And the stuff that, that drives the audience crazy, uh, you know, and I don't know what this is. This seems to be a ritual because I tried to watch another yeah. episode where he rubs his own nipple and then has somebody in the audience rub it. And, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, that's not comedy. You know, that's something from a porno flick, maybe, but it's not Aww. comedy. I think it's pretty funny. Why? What is funny? Tell me what is funny. Because he's so unsexy, and he's always owned that. So to have him act so over-the-top sexy, it just, it always charms me, and I find it disarming. Oh, I God. And why does he have to wear his hair like that? That looks so stupid. It looks great. It's part of his iconography. The hair, it's part of, it's inseparable Ugh. from the Conan myth. Ugh, I can't stand that hair. And, and you know, you glossed over that mostly where he came from was writing. Yes. Well, I didn't really mean to gloss over that. I just didn't want to give his whole bio in the intro. But, uh, yeah, he was a writer most famously for The Simpsons. Right, which is a wonderful show. Well, it used well, to be. I don't be. know if it is anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, I was always a big David Letterman fan. Mm-hmm. I thought he was very, I thought he was always very true to himself. Um, I thought some of his bits were stupid, like the foul mouth librarian and, you know, stuff like that. I don't really think that's funny, mm -hmm. but I liked his manner. You know, I okay. think he, he could, he was sarcastic and I liked that. But Conan just seems like a buffoon to me. Hmm. You know, a lot of people didn't like how uh, acid Letterman could be. You know, his personality put a lot of yes. people off, too. Yes, yeah. But you're silly, Mom. I'm surprised you don't respond to Conan's silliness. Well, nobody's paying to, to you know, see my silliness. 
Oh, were you charged a fee when you turn, tuned into uh, Conan this week? <laughs> well, he's getting paid. He's getting paid. He has writers. You know, come on out and be funny. Tighten it up a little bit. It was. It seems meandering. It seems. It seems careless. It seems happenstance. It seems like. I could tell you went to Harvard because your attitude really says to me, hey, I don't give a rat's ass if you like this or not, but this is my comedy and I'm going to do it my way. That's what he seems like to me. Wow, I didn't know you had such a problem with Ivy League alums. <laughs> hey, I'm a great fan of the Ivy League. Yeah, father, I hope so. My father worked his whole career in at, at the University of Penn, and you went to Dartmouth. And yes, the Ivy League, I love it, but Harvard is different. <laughs> well, they're all different. I mean, if you've if you've spent any time in that environment, they all have their um, own Quirk. quirks and sort of um, retrograde. Um, uh, cultural quirks, I guess I'll say, Dartmouth included. Okay, but uh, yeah, I, but I don't get a Harvard vibe from 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 Conan. Although he did work on the uh, Harvard Lampoon, he, and he grew up there. I mean, he grew yes. up right in uh, in that area. Yes, right? he's from Massachusetts. Um, yeah. You know, I, it is shaggy, especially the monologue portion. But I love that Conan. Wait, wait. Yeah. So you agree that it's that it's a little meandering or Well, you're saying is it as if it's sloppy, but I think I mean that it's a it's a choice by Conan to uh, harness the energy in the room, I guess I'll say. You know, he has these extended interactions with the audience. And, for example, the, yeah. the one we both watched, you know, he goes up and he has this fella, uh, you know, rub his, his nipples. And the guy gets a little too into it. And then that becomes a joke. And I think he's extremely talented at making the people in the audience and therefore the people at the in the home audience feel like they're just partying with him and you know he's he's the host he's at the top of the mountain for sure but he'll bring them into it and bring their energy into the show and i love that i love that the thing with the guy who got a little too excited about rubbing conan's chest you know and then he's talking about the other guy who was behind him and like nodding a little yeah. too intently and it just out of a momentary interaction that might have been, if it were Jay Leno, you know, it would have been a quick high five as he came out on stage, and that would have been right. it. Conan turns he create turns the people into characters, and they become a running joke. Then for for this evening, except that he did it the next night too. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like if that's the price of admittance, I uh, then I don't I can stay home and and rub my own nipples or something. I don't mean that. You know, I just mean it's not wow. funny. It's just, well, Johnny, I didn't mean to wow. say that. Could you please take that nope, part nope. out? Nope, that is staying right in. It's just not funny. David Letterman used to used to bring people in, in from the audience in different ways that I thought were very clever. Like if you were, if you were standing like in a news reel thing, I'm going back to the 40s now. Yeah. When you, if you were, you know, if you were on the pavement and got caught in a thing, somebody would bring that in and show a picture of it. You know, their brush with fame or whatever. I don't know what that was called. Or, or, or he would ask a question and give away a box of meat or something. Right. Now right. that's that's entertainment. No, your cuts of meat is entertainment. You you're saying. 
I am. <laughs> yeah, but you had to think about it when I put it out to you because that was, I mean, Know Your Cuts of Meat was a bit uh, that was funny because it was so inane and so dull that all the comedy came out of Letterman you know, making jibes about these people in the audience, you know, interacting with them and turning them into characters. To me, it's a very similar... I'm surprised you bring up Know Your Cuts of Meat because there's a segment with no substance and it's just Dave making characters out of these people, which to me is what Conan is doing, yes, in a looser, less formatted way, but you saw it two nights in a row, right? So, like, it's part of the conventions of the show at this point. It doesn't strike me as that much different maybe you just don't respond to Conan's, you know, it's it's Conan's sort of snowballs. You know, he'll make a little remark and then he'll slowly turn it into a thing, you know, seemingly getting caught up in his own moment even, whereas Dave was much more um, commanding and maybe even sneering. Not that he was mean to the people in his audience, but he was, it was a different attitude. It was a more sarcastic and, and, uh, sharp-edged attitude. Right. Maybe I just have more respect for that. Maybe to me, that seems more like performance mm-hmm. than come on in and sit sit on the, the couch next to me. Maybe, maybe that's it. I don't know. But, yeah, go ahead. Well, I would like to know your, your thought on him. I mean, in, in all the greats, you know, you didn't really know Johnny Carson, but, you know, of all of them, who do you think is your favorite? Well, Johnny Carson is in it. He, you know, set the standard. So he's in a class by himself. Definitely. And only Letterman would I put above Conan. I mean, you know how okay. how long I have uh, worshipped Letterman and, uh, you know, wanted to be him when I was a teenager. Yeah. But Conan was more for my generation. Yes. And... I I love Conan. I think that Conan is the best person working right now in this traditional late night format. Mm-hmm. You know, he do, it is very traditional. It's a it looks like and acts like the Tonight Show still. Um, you know, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. I mean, perhaps yeah. even more than the Tonight Show itself does. Although Conan travels around and he's you know he's it's not that he's not innovative, but he likes this format and he likes being this kind of late night host. And I think he's really good at it. Now, is it a it's a form that is it's fading and has become fragmented over time. Um, mm. But I just I would much rather watch Conan than. I know people love Stephen Colbert, and I get it, but I just feel like Stephen Colbert, even though he's in opposition to Trump, has been consumed by Trump. And, yes. Um, yes. I, you know, I and that's s- not what late-night TV should be about. Well, late-night TV can be a lot of things, but that's not what I... I find it enervating uh, how much it is about Trump. Because as I, as I said in the first episode of my TV show, when I was a, a host last year... Um, it's important to talk about Trump, but it's important to talk about other stuff as well. Um, exactly. And I just think that Colbert, under pressure from the network, has been consumed by Trump. And I just uh, find it all so predictable. Um, yeah. Jimmy Fallon is the other end of the spectrum. He avoids that's, that stuff as much as he can. Right. I find that show a little too cutesy. As much as I love a yeah. game show, I find his games uh, to be somewhat tedious um yeah. and i'm hesitating well, there's here. not enough time to flesh them out yeah i i guess so and 
you know, I feel a little bad saying it because one of my best friends from my days at The Daily Show um, works as a writer on The Tonight Show, and I think he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. But, yeah, I just don't, I just don't love Jimmy. Well, I'm not going to say it on oh. the air. Oh, okay. Well, good for him. I mean, that's not a reflection on him. No, of course not. And, uh, you know, there's funny okay. stuff on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, too. But just as you don't really cotton to Conan, to uh, turn a phrase there, I don't really, oh, now how can I uh, jump for Jimmy? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, it's too much. You know, we have enough trouble watching Jeopardy every night between our baseball commitments and football commitments and basketball commitments it's tough to to fit in a, an hour show in every every day well but you really just watched the interviews right i mean unless i'm really interested in the person i'm just there for conan's monologue and for the comedy bits that he does and let me just single out one moment that i loved okay they did the bit with andy's schedule you know what i'm talking about mom Yes, they, yes, they do. I won't do the whole setup, but they do this bit with Andy's schedule, and the audience is roaring, and then there's a little bit of patter between, scripted patter between Conan and Andy at the end of it, and it doesn't really do anything, and Conan just looks off screen to one of his producers and says, got ya. And he tries to move on a couple times, but then he just can't resist explaining that there was an argument over whether that last bit at the end should be included. And Conan said, yeah. no, this bit's going to kill. We don't need the fluff at the end. And I guess the producers, the head writer, rather, said, yeah, we need it. And Conan just could not resist saying, basically, told you so. Yeah, yeah. Now, for me, that stuff is like catnip because I love... You yeah. know, I love a glimpse inside the production. That's real. Like, yeah. I know Conan's not playing a bit right there. That's real emotion as a host. Um, again, I have half a percent of the experience that Conan does, but I did have my own show last year, and so I sympathized with his feeling like you love when you win an argument because sometimes you're wrong. I can't, you know, yeah. there was yeah. stuff I insisted on um, last year, including in the in my own monologue at the top of the show that just ended up going over like a lead balloon. And there was some yeah. stuff I insisted on that went over great. And it's just hard to know. So I loved that bit. I like how he gives us those glimpses into the reality. He's always willing to tear down his fourth wall, which I think is one reason I've always loved him. Well, I think we should also mention that you, that you worked on the daily show. So, yeah. I mean, you do have quite an insider look, um, from different seats. Yeah, I mean, I know how these sh pretty well how these shows are are made. Yeah, um, so uh, you know, I'm watching as with a lot of stuff that I watch. I'm watching the show and I'm watching the production at the same time. Yeah, you know, I kind of watch everything in stereo, experiencing as a viewer and also as like a vicarious producer. I'm always thinking about yeah. about the behind the scenes as well. Well, and I think that's. That not to you know keep bringing this up, but I think that's where um, our enjoyment of Better Call Saul came from. Particularly after an episode that that we both Dad and I looked at each other and said, "What the hell was that?" And then in the next morning, when I listened to your or watched mm -hmm. your basement breakdown, it was like, "Yeah, I I get it now." Wow. So maybe I'm too stupid for television. <laughs> 
hey, it's a it's a dense show, and that really means a lot to me because that's what I want. I love watching stuff with myself, and I know that sounds weird, but I always I always say to people like. I find it really fun to watch TV with my own running commentary in my head, and I just want to sort of take my eyes and pop them on other people's heads and say, yeah. here, you see the show, I see it, it's going to come alive yeah. for you. And then, in reverse, what I love to do is take other people's eyes and pop them in my head and say, ooh, oh, you see, you saw this, I didn't see that. I mean, that happens all the yeah. time with these Basement Breakdown videos. Some really smart viewers say, well, what about this? Or I didn't look at it the way you yeah. did, I looked at it this way. I can't tell you how many yeah. times someone's like, says something like, oh, I didn't see that sign on the wall that Jimmy was standing next to. I didn't see it as yeah. this. I saw yeah. it as, you know, his internal monologue. And I'm like, oh, that's better. That's better than what I said. And I, I can't help but see it that way now. Boy, yeah. I love that. But now we're just getting into why I'm a critic, and we don't need to talk about that. This is you're the critic on the show. Yes, yeah, of guess, a different sort. I guess we're both the critics. Um, what did you make of Andy? Uh, you know, he's no Ed McMahon. Um, this is Andy Richter, Conan's sidekick, longtime sidekick. He's okay. I don't even. I don't think I go for the sidekick thing anymore. No, I don't think so. I don't think he added that much. I like. I like. Andy Richter, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do you say that? How, how can you say that? I don't know that he brings that much. The funniest thing I saw him do was not be on screen. <laughs> I was just going to say that. That was his funniest moment of the, I like him a lot, but yeah, that was his funniest moment of the night when he, um, there was a joke about an NFL player walking out in the middle of a game um, and retiring, and then they cut to the shot of Andy's podium, and he was gone. That was a big laugh. That was a big laugh. I like that kind of comedy, you know, that I that I can't see coming. Interesting observation, Mom, because, you know, you say that, and it makes me think, like, a lot of Conan's interaction with the audience and whatnot that, that doesn't excite you, you can see where that's going, you know, like you're with him that whole way and he's building it right. with you. There's not that, that sense of cut to the sight gag surprise with that kind of stuff. So you, you right. get a little bored with that type of interaction. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think that's a good description. Mm-hmm. That, that is true. You know, I could watch David Letterman throw watermelons off the top of his building for hours or cans of paint. Oh, my God. Just prop me up on a pillow and give me a bag of popcorn. I could watch that forever. And I realize that's stupid and that's not really comedy. But Sure it is. Is it? Yeah, sure it is. I think it's just vandalism, John. <laughs> It's comedy, you know, uh, well, Letterman's, that type of comedy with Letterman, it was always about, like, he's on national TV right now, and this is how he's choosing to use his airtime and his platform. Somebody throwing watermelons off a roof is not funny in and of itself, but somebody doing it on network TV is funny, and that was the premise to so much of his comedy, and to Conan's, yeah. uh, to some degree as well. I want to know what, if you think late-night television like that has a future. I think it has a future, but I think that that future looks different from its past. Yeah. It's not going to, it's not going to rise again, I'll put it that right. way. Yeah. And, and, and I guess that's because the world of the computer has, has sort of replaced that, you know, where you needed, that was it for late-night entertainment 
with your wife and you mm-hmm. could fall asleep in bed and whatever, but now we all have our computers and so I don't I don't see another king on the horizon. No. Or queen as the case may be, but has not been yet. No. Nope. What's your grade for Conan, Mom? Uh, I'll give him a C plus. Because, you know, if if I was uh, stuck in an air raid shelter or something, I would watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm glad now we've determined what the C-plus on your grading scale means. Is it air raid raid shelter watchable is what the C-plus means. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I I just read a book about the the war from Great Britain's side of the... (laughs) So I'm a little caught up in that okay. language right now. So if y- you were hunkered down in a bunker during World War II, you would watch Conan. <laughs> if I was caught in a hotel that got one station, I would watch Conan. Okay. Stuck in a hotel that's in the in the hurricanes. All right, fair enough. Uh, Mom, as always, we end with your recommendation. I understand you have two recommendations this week. I have two recommendations. One is a, what do you call it, a thing on Twitter. You want to do the Twitter thing first? Yeah, because it'll just take a second. Okay. But it's called, You Had One Job. Yeah. And then it's pictures of things that didn't go well, like a handicap sign where where <laughs> where there's a median right in the middle of the crosswalk and stuff like that. Oh, so really? Pretty funny. That's funny. And the other one is... This is my last Japanese book. Oh, for thank now. God. It's called... <laughs> you liked one of them. I did like one of them, but I'm so... This has got to be the last Japanese. We've talked about Japan four episodes in a row now. Right, I just I said can't this take is, it. This is the third and last one. Okay. This is called The Guest Cat. Do you, do you know how to say this fellow's name? Um, Takashi Hiraide. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's about a cat that he and his wife... They live in a little apartment, in a in a funny little nook apartment, and they sort of adopt the neighbor's cat. And uh, it's just a, a it's very eloquently written. It's it has a lot of reference to things that are Japanese, and it has a sort of a glossary in the back, notes from the translator. Oh, there you go. So it's very helpful. Um, in in knowing what they're talking about, I didn't find it till the end, but it it uh, it will give you a little view of what uh, Japan was like for this couple in the I think 80s. He wrote these stories uh, for a magazine and then compiled several of them and started a book about this cat. So that's the guest cat by Takashi Hiraide. And on Twitter, it's you had one job, uh, which has a strange uh, Twitter handle. It's at underscore you had one job number one. But just search for you oh. had one job Twitter, and it's the first thing that comes up. Yeah, it's very funny, and they post a couple times a day, and uh, some of them will make you laugh. Uh, did All you of s- them make me laugh. Did you see the one with the uh, Tasmanian devil that they? got out of the trap and it just the animal and it ran back just the walks trap. right runs right back over to the trap and the door just clunks closed again after they went all the trouble to get it get it out of there <laughs> pretty cute i didn't know tasmanian devils were so cute yeah aren't they 
because we really only know one. That's <laughs> that's right, and he's not very cute at all. He is not. He's a slobbering, sharp-toothed guy. <laughs> Out of all the Japanese books that you've uh, recommended lately, Mom, of the thousands of them, which one is your Three. number one? This one, The Guest Cat. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, uh, I liked it a lot. It's good. not really about a cat so much. It's about a Tasmanian devil. Oh, Johnny, you're such a pain in the ass. Wait till you see. I'm going to box up all that stuff we took out of the out of the garage and send it to you. That'll teach you. You're going to send me my stuff? I guess that'll teach me. Yeah. All my Star Trek stuff? All your Star Trek stuff, all your college notebooks, and your your TV guide with Star Trek this, and your map of all the Apple stores or whatever the hell that thing is. I don't know. I didn't open it up. I don't know what that is. Huh. It's, it's like a world map of all the Apple locations or something. Wow. That could be worth something. Well, I'm sure it's not complete. Well, not now, no, but that's... <laughs> well, if anybody wants that, contact me and I'll save the postage from sending it to you. Okay, great. That's what I should do. I should auction all your crap off. Yeah? Is that what you should do? Because I'm tired of your Japanese book recommendations? This is your revenge? That's right. Okay. That's my revenge. Yeah. <laughs> really, the best revenge would be to send it all to you. Yeah, agreed. All right. That's all for all right. this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. What should we talk about, Mom? Mm. I have in mind something interesting. Something Okay. Something interesting. <laughs> Sounds about right. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can review podcasts. Uh, we just got a review the other day. In fact, I think our 100th uh, rating came in. We have five stars on there, and someone wrote a review. Boy, when you write a review, it makes a big difference, not only to us, wow. um, but less importantly to our ranking in the uh, Apple Podcasts deal. So, yeah, write, <laughs> write a review. But uh, uh, as always, if you don't enjoy the show, keep it a secret until you die. Yeah, don't tell anyone. We love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny.